This is the Edify Podcast for the Servant. Well, good Wednesday to you, John Salt, that we looked at yesterday to expose and confront the sinfulness of the hearers, that we outside of Christ can do nothing of good and nothing of salvation, nothing that at all would merit or award us in any kind of way anything anything that's going to matter to the to the throne room of God and in the courtroom of God. I want to shift the gears from not just exposing sin, but also warning people of the wrath of God and the judgment that is to come. So in, in Luke 3, verse 7, he, he looks at the people who've come out to be baptized by him, and he says, you brood of vipers. Not, hello, welcome to the worship services of the Piedmont Road Church of Christ. <laughs> of course, that was specific, and John knew the situation, but but he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So he warns people about the wrath. And he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees in verse 9. And what, what is the Lord going to do? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Kadoosh, you're gone. Too bad. John warned his hearers that the axe of God's judgment was about to fall upon them. If they, didn't, if they did not repent, and they're baptized in this baptism of repentance as John laid it out, and they don't bring forth fruits of repentance, then they would be thrown into the fire. So fire throughout the whole New Testament is used as a symbol uh, a symbol for, for God's eternal wrath that is going to be poured out upon unrepentant sinners in hell. So look at verse 17, if you're there in Luke chapter 3. He's, he's warning them about it again. He says that his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor. He's going to gather the wheat into the barn. What's he going to do with the rest? The rest is called the chaff. C-H-A-F-F. We, we see it in Psalm chapter 1. What's going to happen to it? He's going to burn it with unquenchable fire. Hmm. He doesn't mince words. Unquenchable fire. It's the kind of language that Jesus himself, you know, good old Jesus who loves everybody. God is love. God is love. They use this language. This is fire. It's, it's, it's a hell of unquenchable fire. There's no end. The fuel of hell's fire is never exhausted. The suffering of the damned is going to be eternal. Now, did John preach these things because he was mean and sadistic and he found pleasure in scaring people? No. No, he preached them because they are true and because he wanted these people to be saved from this dreadful end. Anybody who truly believes the Bible and therefore believes what the Bible says about hell and what Jesus himself says about hell cannot help but preach about it and warn people about it. If you never do, then, it, then it's doubtful that you never really believe it or you really don't love people. Or you're not balanced in your preaching. Or you're afraid that you're going to hurt the feelings of people and you're going to forsake God and his word and his preaching uh, and you're going to sell all that for the feelings of a common man. Now, we don't want to be about that. We want to be balanced in our preaching and we want to present the truth of hell and warn people about hell in love because we're, we're concerned for their soul. John is clear in his preaching about this. But some of us, if we're not careful, we're, we won't be so clear. C.S. Lewis, he, he said about... Uh, one occasion, he heard a young man. A young man was was preaching, and he ended a sermon on judgment. and And he's he's waiting. You know, he's warning his hearers that those who don't who don't turn to Christ, this is what the young man says. He says they will suffer grave, est- es- <coughs> excuse me, eschatological ramifications. Grave eschatological ramifications. That's what the young man said. So after the service, Lewis asked him whether he meant that these people would go to hell or not. And he said, precisely, that's precisely what I meant. And Lewis said, well, then say so. Then say it. By way of contrast, John had no interest in muddying up what he meant with sophisticated words. He spoke plainly. 
And when it comes to preaching for conversations, this is what we must we, we must do. We must be about this. We must tell the truth, the whole truth, including this truth, that all who die without Christ Jesus will be damned to hell for eternity. Now, we must never preach about hell without grief in our hearts and compassion for those to whom we preach. I'm sure John's heart was broken. I'm sure, like Paul, he had a burden in his heart for these people. That, that's why he preached with such urgency and passion. I love, I love the book of Mark because the book of Mark is such a book of ur- urgency. I read of a short story about uh, Francis Schaeffer. And it was originally told that the person telling it by somebody who visited Schaefer and his wife and Edith um, in Switzerland, there were others there. And after dinner, this is this is the quote: After dinner one night, uh, the conversation rang, uh, ranged over a number of profound theological issues. But suddenly, someone asked Dr. Schaefer, "What will happen to those who never heard of Christ?" And everyone around the dinner table waited, and they waited for a great theological discourse from this, quote, theologian to deliver a weighty intellectual answer. But no answer came. Instead, at the dinner table, Schaefer bowed his head and he wept. Brethren, that'll preach. Oh, that God would give us tears and cause us to weep over lost sinners. We should have tears in our eyes or at the very least tender compassion in our hearts and in, 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 in our manner whenever we speak about hell. But at the same time, the most loving thing we can do for anyone who is outside of Christ is to tell them the truth. And the truth is that as long as they remain unconverted, they're in great danger. <laughs> More than just grave eschatological uh, ramifications, okay? Hell is, hell is there, they are, in one breath, one heartbeat, away from eternal hell. So John sought to convince men of their sinful condition. He warned them about the wrath to come. But not only the wrath to come, but also John um, John wanted to expose false and uh, self-deceptive hopes. See, John knew what he what. What we must also know, he knew that when sinners are in some measure awakened to their sin and seeking relief for their conscience and from their fears, they can easily settle for something less than true conversions. They promise themselves to do better in the future. They make surface changes in their behavior. Uh, They're going to pray about it. Perhaps they start going to church or they start reading their Bible. They start doing nice things, treat the wife better. And now they feel much better about themselves and they can easily put their trust in something other than Christ. They can settle for something less than a thoroughgoing conversion and deceive themselves that, that everything is just right and all is well and their soul is realistically not. John was faithful to the souls of those people by seeking to expose false and deceptive hopes. We see him doing this in at least three ways in this passage. See, John warned people of merely trusting in religious ritual or what we might often call religious activity. Now, though, though John baptized those who profess repentance, he wanted to make sure that they didn't think um, the mere act of being baptized saved them. Uh, you, you can have the symbol, and you can go through a baptism. You can go through any ritual. You can do any sort of thing, and it not save you. 
First Peter 3, 20, 21 tells us that just like Noah and all those folks were saved by water, saved through water, that water was the agent by which they were saved, we too were saved through that same type of baptism. Not not a flood, but a but a death, burial, resurrection, just like Jesus, Romans chapter 6. That this is a process that we must partake in that is commanded of us, and we must do this in order to have the forgiveness of sins. But it must be met by faith. See, I don't trust in my baptism for my salvation. I trust in Jesus for my salvation. And Jesus tells me to go and to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, and I'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't think the gift was limited to the miraculous. I think the gift is salvation, uh, me, myself, and and I, and I believe that, that it's the Holy Spirit uh, as he is living inside all of us, um, that he's, he's there. Um, and you say, well, is he literally there, or is he there just by knowledge? It just he's there just leave it alone he's there so this this is a process and 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 this process needs to be understood that that we can go through a form a form of baptism we can go in the water go down and come up as many times as we want to um but unless our heart is in it unless it's by faith unless it's met by repentance and believing in jesus christ confessing him for our life then it's a waste of time we had bible camp back in june and rest assured i'm in the uh i'm in the swimming pool uh, there at Camp Watoga up in Blue Ridge. And, uh, and of course, as a counselor, I'm baptizing every child that's there uh, violently and viciously. And uh, pick them up, choke slam, undertaker through the grave. Uh, and, and even some of the Hispanic kids that were there, I was joking with them, and I'd say, in nomine patria, fili de spirito santi. And they just thought it was the funniest thing that I was baptizing all of them left and right, double-handed, uh, just going at it. So that wasn't baptism. I was absolutely submerging them into the water and... Uh, letting them worry about getting themselves up. It was just for fun. It wasn't real. It was it was a joke. It was it was playful time. But when we're going through baptism, it, it, it's not that. Multitudes of folks come out to John to be baptized. So what does John say? All right, anybody who wants to be baptized, just come on up. We'll baptize you right now. Let's see, we, we had 50 decisions for Jesus Christ tonight. No, he said, you brood of vipers. Who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance, verse 7 and verse 8. Now, those are strong words, shocking words. What's he saying? He's telling them, it's not enough to slither out of your holes. <laughs> like scared snakes were known to do in that region uh, when, when, when fleeing from a, a desert brush fire. Running to me scared, thinking that baptism is going to make you safe. The question is, have you truly repented? Do you have the reality uh, of the of the what the what the ritual implies and symbolizes and and does to you this is a common problem isn't it there's so many people today that are trusting in the fact that they were baptized as babies or they were baptized when they were at camp or they were baptized when they were 37 years old or or they went through this or they did that or this whatever it is many people trust in in their involvement of the church they attend worship services they they've attended church for a great number of years and my granddaddy built this church and and they're just, they just started going to church in recent, or maybe they just started going to church in recent months. It doesn't matter. They feel better about themselves. They think, I'm going to church now. Everything's supposed to be fine. I'm blessing God. God's going to bless me. Some of my best friends are in the church. Yada, 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 yada. And, and, and perhaps much of their lives revolves around the church and the people and the people that they know at church and they, they put away old friends. and but So they find it hard to believe that, that they could be so involved with the people of God and the things of God and not be a part of God's family. This is what gives them this feeling of peace. But if that's what they're trusting in, it's a false peace, and we need to show them that. Donald Whitney, 
great writer, especially praying through the scriptures and spiritual disciplines. He gives an illustration that's absolutely horrifying. Now listen to this. A member of a parachute club volunteered to videotape as a participant a jump made by the club. He leaped first, then turned the lens on the others. They floated together and finally joined hands to complete the free-falling circle. Then he taped them, one by one, as they pulled and ripped their cords, jerking upright. Suddenly the image blurred as the camera swung wildly about. That was the moment that the cameraman had forgotten his parachute. He had been so intent on preparing the camera and planning the filming that he overlooked his greatest priority. Although he was active up there as anyone else in the club and he enjoyed the quote fellowship, he did not realize it was until it was too late that he was not in the same condition as the others. This individual was missing one of the most needful things. So this is the danger that you and I see. A person can go to church, be involved in church, and live the lives of godly people, participate in church and church rituals, and still not be one of God's persons. John warned his hearers of merely trusting in some religious ritual, a religious activity. we got to do the same. Number two, John warned his hearers not to trust in their religious heritage and family connections. Verse eight, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not say to yourselves, oh, we've got Abraham as our father. <laughs> He says that God God can look at these stones right here and raise up stones and um, raise up children uh, from these stones. If that's what God wants to do, this was a great problem with many of Jews in those days. They, they thought that because they had a wonderful privilege of being the physical descendants of Abraham, they were safe. Paul had to write this in Romans chapter uh, gracious, almost all the whole book. Not all of Israel are Israel. Just because you're of the descendant of Abraham or you were in covenant with Moses, that don't mean nothing. You, you were given the tabernacle. You were given the tablets and the covenants. But look what you've done. The Gentiles blaspheme God because of you. See, see, these people thought that they didn't need to repent. They, they didn't need to be converted. Uh, they thought to themselves, you know, Gentiles may need to repeat, but, you know, repent, but not, but, but not us. All, everything's good for us. We're children of Abraham. We've been circumcised eighth day, yada, 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 yada. Many, many of them failed to realize the physical connections to Abraham. Now, though a great privilege, it wasn't sufficient. It is the spiritual children of Abraham who will be saved. Um, Romans chapter 9 and verse 8, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ and you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, those who share the faith of Abraham, whether they be Jew or Gentile, are the children of God. So, Something similar to this today can happen. I mean, people say, well, my dad's a Christian. My mother's a Christian. I've gone to this church as long as I can remember. I was raised in a Christian home, brought up in family devotionals, learned all these sorts of things. I know the five steps of salvation. I know all the VBS songs, Rooster Booster, which is basically glory, glory to old Georgia. But anyway, they they know all the right answers. They all know, they, they know the right words. It's It's been a way of life for them. And these are wonderful privileges. And it's a great blessing of God uh, from God to, to grow up in a Christian family like this. But there is a danger, and we got to help our hearers understand none of these things make you right with God. You must be born again. You must have personal dealings with Jesus Christ for yourself and have him take your sin. You must believe in him for yourself, repent for your sins, be baptized for your sake, take up the cross and follow him. But then the third thing, a really common source of self-deception, is... His hearers, they needed to understand that they were not to rely on an empty profession of faith. John the Immerser challenged them to rely, rather to not rely, 
on a profession of faith in Christ and repentance that had not actually produced a change of life, of devotion, and obedience to Christ. And, and again, at the end of verse 7, the beginning of verse 8, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, you're coming to be baptized by me, professing repentance. But remember that repentance, if it's real, it will show itself. It's going to bear fruits of repentance. Verse 9, therefore every tree who doesn't do that, doesn't bear good fruit of repentance, it's going to be cut down. We see this emphasis again in, in 10 through 14 when the people came to John asking him, what shall we do? See, if your if you're professed repentance is real, then show it. Prove it. Stop doing this. Start doing that. Forsake your darling sin. Start participating in uh, and practicing opposite virtues. Prove your repentance by your obedience because talk is cheap. True conversion will always show itself in a changed life. You don't have to beg people to do it. A life marked by the serious purpose and, and, and endeavor to walk in the way of God's commandments. This is, this is still just as true today. A profession of faith in Christ Jesus where there is no fruit of obedience to Christ is a false profession. A person wants to come out of the waters of baptism but then go back to the sin from which they came. There's no difference there. We have to make it crystal clear in our preaching that we don't become Christians on the basis of trying to obey Christ. Our obedience does not merit salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. Must we obey? Yes. But Jesus is the one that gives that. And it's not semantics and a play on word. We've got to be careful that we give the, the accreditation to Jesus for salvation, not, not, quote, our acceptance of that. Christ, with all his saving accomplishments, all of that, is, is a free gift of God. And he's extending that to sinners to, to, to be received by faith. But at the same time, where faith exists uniting the soul to Christ. It's always in, inseparable from repentance, and it brings forth the fruit of a new life, uh, a new life of, of pursuing obedience. Christ doesn't save us to sin. He saves us from sin. It's guilt. It's punishment. But it's it's also also it's domination over our lives, that, that, that sin that's there. That's why you can't separate saving faith and repentance. You can't be trusting Christ to save you from your sin while determined to keep your sin. Whether they're, they're true, wherever there's true conversion, we, we know this, there's going to be fruit, fruit of obedience. This was not only the message of John, this was the message of Jesus. He says, you will know it's this tree by its fruit. Jesus said to Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about people who are doing great things. And doing great things in the name of Jesus, he said, I'm sorry, not everybody who does these sorts of things is, is the one who's going to heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's the same message preached by John, same message preached by Jesus, still needs to be preached today. In our efforts to awaken sinners to their lost condition, we need to show them the nature that the change of life that is taking place and what it produces, the direction of true conversion to Christ produces. We need to show these folks the marks, evidences maybe is a word, of a person who has been born again. I'm very thankful for this kind of preaching. Um, very thankful. Some of us grew up in churches where we were self-deceived. Uh, we know of churches. We know we're studying with people who are self-deceived. They profess to be Christians, but they're not. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of his time, um, preached about the Sermon on the Mount. And um, in one particular passage 
John uh, or Lloyd Jones preaches on Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three. He he preaches three sermons from this text: false peace, signs of self deception, and unconscious hypocrisy. These sermons, I would I would offer you to go get them. the The book is called The Sermon on the Mount, Martin Lloyd Jones. I think it was written, produced, nineteen ninety six, maybe. These these sermons are great examples of preaching that addresses this danger of relying on a profession of faith in Christ that does not evidence itself in a changed life of devotion to Christ. I want to offer that to you. Uh, that 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 book, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven twenty through twenty one through twenty three. Those those three. Go read those. Um, take take the truth from that and go preach that enjoy that model see John the Baptist preached for conversions see in John we have a model an example of this very important aspect of evangelistic preaching preaching to awaken sinners to their need not that we must preach on any or every one of these points every single time we preach there's a need for balance. Too much preaching on awakening things like, like these can dishearten, can discourage, can the sensitive sheep among God's people, the little lambs of the flock, it will drive those people, um, it can drive those folks and, and unconverted people into complete despair. We've got to be careful. The right kind of, there is a right kind of despair that we want them to come to, a despair of their own righteousness and of their own strength to save themselves. But there's also a wrong kind of despair. We don't want them to despair of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Remember the brother who was um, having, you know, um, claims of sexual immorality with his father's wife. Was this his mother? Was this his stepmother? We, we're, not, we're not told. But something was horribly wrong. And the church was putting up with it. And they were saying, oh, look how good we are. That we're, we're so strong we can put up with this. Paul says, you put him out of the camp. And they did. And in the second Corinthian letter, as we have it, he says, okay, you did that, but if you don't let him come back, if you continue to smush him out, the devil's going to take a hold of him. So we have to be careful. There is a balance when it comes to guilt. There is a balance when it comes to shame, but it cannot be overwhelming. We don't want to kill half the population of the church. What I mean by that is, it's an interesting story, Daniel Rowland. Uh, we talked about him last episode. He's what what was considered to be one of the great preachers um, used in the 18th century in, in awakening um, Wales and other places. For about five years, he, he preached powerfully the law um, as an awakened man who himself was still unclear about the gospel of Christ, and he very much was lacking assurance. And But he was going to preach how he felt. He was going to preach what he knew. So his hearers were under terrible spiritual distress and conviction of sin, but but a Mr. Pugh uh, from a nearby town, he eventually came to him and said, Dear Mr. Rowland, preach the gospel to the people. Apply the balm to their spiritual wounds and show them the, ne the necessity of faith in the crucified Savior. Rowland said, quote, I fear that I do not have that faith in its full active strength myself. Mr. Pugh answered, he said, Preach it until you feel it, until you feel that you have it. If you continue to preach the law in, its, in this way, you're going to kill half the population. There's got to be balance. We know that. We must know the people to whom we're, we're preaching, you know, where you are, how long you've been there. you got to know them. you got to know them. 
You got to love them. Point people to Jesus. John, it's not all that he did for preaching for conversions. John also proclaimed and exalted Jesus Christ as mighty to save. And I think we'll get into that maybe next episode. But what we learn in John one twenty nine that John pointed sinners to Christ, saying, Behold the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sins of this world. Acts 19 and verse 4, John mm, baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And then, then here in our text in Luke, verse 16, he preached Christ as the one who, who baptizes sinners with the Holy Spirit, essentially saying, folks, I can baptize you with water, but I can't save you. I can expose your sins, but I have no power to free you from their guilt and from their judgment to come. I can, I can declare to you the necessity of repentance, but I can't give you a new heart and the power to do it, but I point you to the one who can, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's him. Look at him, the, the Lamb of God. He's going to take away this issue. He's going to um, atone for all of us. He's going to die. He, he's going to be the one who can give you the gift of his spirit to indwell you, Ephesians 3.17. He, he's unable to to live in you and give you this new life of repentance that I'm actually calling you to. See, that's the message that John preached. And it's also the message that I've got to preach. John preached for conversions. I've got to preach for conversions. The main thing that I want us to see in this particular episode and for the next ones to come, John's example, preaching for conversions involves seeking to awaken sinners to their lost condition and their need. Next episode, we're going to be preaching the essential content of the gospel message. What's essential? What's not essential? Is it all essential? Good questions. But I hope you're doing well. We'll see you tomorrow morning, uh, Thursday. May God bless you in your preaching and your teaching, awakening sinners to the reality of fruit worthy of repentance.